Let us begin our transfiguration sermon with prayer. O merciful and everlasting God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us the glory of your Son and let the light of your gospel shine on us. We pray that you bless today's sermon so that the gospel light may shine on us through it. We pray that you would guide us by this light that we may walk diligently as Christians in all good works, always being strengthened by your grace and conduct our lives in all godliness. Through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel History according to St. Luke, as recorded in chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. About eight days after he said these words, Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. While he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Just then two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with him. They appeared in glory and were talking about his departure, which he was going to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were weighed down with sleep, but when they were completely awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to them, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not realize what he was saying. While he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. They were afraid as they went into the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, they found Jesus alone. They kept this secret and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as John begins his gospel, he makes it clear that Jesus is the word. He's the spokesman for the Trinity. He's the one who said, let there be light. He's the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush to tell him, you're going to be my leader to get the people out of Egypt. And so usually, whether it's Old or New Testament, when God speaks, it's the Son. Less than a handful of times does God the Father speak. And that's in the New Testament. And one of those times is today. Another one of those times was at Jesus' baptism. And what does God the Father say when He speaks? It's got to be important because normally the Son who's also God when He speaks, it's important. But normally it's the Son who speaks. So what does the Father say? This is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. If this was all we had, we know that Jesus is God. For if He had created Jesus to be His Son, then He would be creating a new God and His commandments tell us, Thou shalt have no other gods. So he makes it very clear, this is his son. We can say begotten in all eternity. And what does he tell us to do? Listen to him. Seems easy, doesn't it? It's not so easy. We're not good at listening to God. We want to tell God how to be God. We want to tell God how to govern the world. We want to tell God what we need and how he needs to supply it. That's not listening, brothers and sisters in Christ. We often forget that listening means to hear His Word, and the greatest act of worship we give is not only to listen to His Word, but to believe it. Whether it's showing us our sins and condemning them, or whether it's showing us our Savior and assuring us our sins are forgiven. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, our sermon theme for today on Transfiguration Sunday is, Listen to Your Savior. Our text begins at verse 28 saying, About eight days after these words. Do you know what those words were? 
Really, the big thing begins with Jesus telling the disciples eight days earlier, by the way, we're going to make a long path down to Jerusalem, and when we get there, uh, the Sanhedrin's going to kill me, and I'm going to die. And Peter's not listening. Oh, Lord, no, that ain't the kind of glory Peter wants. Oh, enough of this foolish talk. And Jesus rebukes him. And then Jesus continues in verse 23, saying, uh, chapter 9, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and daily follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. After all, what will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world, but destroys himself or is lost? In fact, whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I'm telling you the truth. There are some standing here who will certainly not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. He says that because Judas is going to betray him. And Judas will hang himself before he see the resurrected glory of our Lord, the glory he had in all existence. Think about that. For eight days, the disciples had to be scratching their heads. You and I can ask, where's the glory in having a disciple that you know is going to betray you? We don't always see God's glory, do we? But there it is. Because when you think about it, for three years, Jesus in his grace gave Judas every opportunity to especially hear God's grace from his mouth. Every invitation. Judas has only himself to blame that he's in hell, for he vehemently rejected it by what he did, brothers and sisters in Christ. But there is God's glory, tolerating an enemy in his midst out of his grace to offer that enemy the opportunity to be saved. The world would not think of a savior as somebody who hangs on a cross, is betrayed by the Sanhedrin who's supposed to be looking out for him, who hangs naked and is mocked. But therein is truly his glory. Because his glory is his grace and it is there that he's suffering the punishment and all of my rotten sins and all of your rotten sins deserves. It's there in his glory that he hangs naked on the cross in the world's idea of shame so that he can give you salvation. And telling the disciples, you're going to have to take up a cross and follow me? Well, that's not the kind of glory we want to hear from pulpits, is it? We want to hear you follow Jesus and he's going to make you healthy, wealthy and wise. If I just do the right things, God's going to give me all kinds of great stuff on this earth. Money and big four-wheel drives and cars. Life's going to be hunky-dory and I ain't going to have any complaints. Where's the glory in saying, if you follow me, it's going to be a miserable run? Brothers and sisters in Christ, Peter didn't want anything to do with that kind of glory, did he? But God in his glory, by his grace, would win Peter over as well. About eight days after these words, Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And we're told in verse 32, Peter and those with him were weighed down with sleep. Following this guy around was an exhaustive ministry. And it was pretty common for Jesus to withdraw away from the crowds for some time to be alone and pray. Where's the glory in seeing a Savior who needs to be reinvigorated by the Word, who needs time to rest, who needs to be alone? And it wasn't uncommon like in the Garden of Gethsemane where he tells most of the disciples, stay here, and he brings a few to say, stay here, and then he moves on. Not seeing the glory there, are we? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can be looking for the wrong kind of glory. Moses got to see God appear to him in a burning bush and it's not consumed. But does Moses say, you're a glorious Lord? He says, oh, Lord, don't send me. I don't want the the headache of leading these people. Really good example, though, is Elijah. 
The people of Israel have forsaken the Lord. They're worshiping Baal. And Baal, he was a false god, but he was supposed to be a god of rain. So God, through Elijah, tells the people of Israel, you want to chase after this false god? Fine. I am going to shut up the skies and it will not rain for seven years. So Elijah gets to be the next greatest miracle worker since Moses, but God's actually the one who works them. But what, what does he get for those seven years? Does he get a glorious ministry in which the people are funneling to him and saying, tell us the word? Elijah lives next to a brook and birds come and give him his food. Do you know what kind of food a bird can carry in its beak? That's not the world's idea of a glorious prophet showing a glorious Lord, is it? And then the brook dries up. God sends him not to an Israelite, but to a Gentile, to a woman and her son. And does he give them a feast every day? There's just enough bread and oil to make a loaf of bread to keep them alive. Jesus tells us if we're going to follow him, we've got to take up our crosses. We need to listen to the Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ, because our sinful nature in this world's idea of glory, that's not what we're going to see. So we listen to our Savior when we don't see the glory. And Elijah, he gets that glorious moment when at the end of those seven years, he has the showdown with the Baal prophets. Let them go first. Let them pick out the sacrifices. Pray to your God. And if he lights your altar, we'll admit he exists. And he doesn't. They pray all day. But then Elijah, he has them dump gallons of water onto the altar, onto the sacrifice and the wood, and he prays to God, wham, and it lights up. There's glory. And he tells the people, these false prophets have been leading you astray. Kill them. And 450 prophets are killed that day. There is glory. But does Elijah get to bask in it? No. Jezebel, who wasn't even an Israelite, who had led the people into that false worship and encouraged it, she says, run, little man of the Lord, for I'm going to have you killed. And Elijah's not afraid for his life. There is God's glory. But he's depressed. God sends him to Mount Sinai. And there God speaks to him. There's a strong wind. God's not in that. God's not in the earthquake and the shaking of the earth. He comes to Elijah in a gentle whisper. He says, what's wrong, Elijah? They've killed every one of the prophets, Lord. I'm the only one left and now they're going to kill me. This is not a glorious ministry. They're rotten and they're miserable and they're beating up on me and they don't stop. And does God say, stop whining and get to work? You're supposed to represent me in glory. Suddenly the glory is seen. God says, not so. I've preserved 7,000 knees that have not bowed to Baal. There was the glory, brothers and sisters in Christ. Elijah didn't get to see the glory in his ministry the way he thought he would, but God had used it to keep 7,000 people from worshiping a false god. Elijah was reinvigorated by his Savior. Listen to your Savior, brothers and sisters in Christ, when you don't see God's glory. Because it takes the eyes of faith and that comes through the word and the word assures us. It's not surprising to me that Moses and Elijah are the two men who God sends to encourage him. Moses was the one through whom God gave the law and he led the people to the promised land where the Savior would be born. But recall, when Moses died, God hid his body from Satan. Satan likes to get people to worship false things. And imagine what he could do if he had Moses' body, what kind of a cult he could create. So Moses' burial was different. But Elijah, Elijah was one of two men, all before the birth of Christ, who was spared death. 
We might not see the glory in this world, but remember, God has promised you a glorious body. He has promised you your Savior will come in glory to judge. Stay in the Word. Listen to the Word. And in the Word, the Lord is working to His glory. So listen to your Savior when you don't see His glory. But here the disciples actually do get to see it, don't they? Verse 29, While He was praying, the appearance of His face changed, and His clothing became dazzling white. Just then two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with him. They appeared in glory and were talking about his departure, which he was going to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were weighed down with sleep, but when they were completely awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. There it is, Lord. This is what we've been waiting for. We get to see your Godhood. How wonderful. Brothers and sisters in Christ... God says you're going to bear a cross if you follow him. But you do get to see his glory. This morning we baptized a child. And maybe there wasn't fireworks and flashes. And we didn't see the Holy Spirit come in and seal himself in that heart. But you'll remember this day. His parents will remember this day. His siblings will remember this day. There we saw God's glory. God taking a child and saying, you're mine. I've made you mine. And there's a glorious thing that happens there because we're all sinners and all of us at times will stray away from the Lord. But God says, you're going to have to put up quite a fight before I let you go. It's interesting, brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't always see God's glory because we're looking for it in the way the world would look for it. But God does. As this day when we get to see just a glimpse of Jesus' Godhood, we get to listen to our Savior even when we do see His glory. When we see His glory, when, when He assures us that our sins are forgiven... When we've had a rough run at it in life and He gives us that moment where we can see this is how you've been working for us. When we've been praying for that brother or sister or that neighbor or that relative and suddenly God has set up the right timing and you get to be that mouthpiece that tells them of the Savior and the Holy Spirit enters their heart. Boy, you get to see the glory of the Lord. Then too, we need to listen to the Word. So that God is there reminding us that His glory... When we get to see it, it's, we don't get to see it all the time until we receive the new heavens and the new earth. But they're special moments meant to encourage us. And we want to listen to the word so that we don't misunderstand the glory that we're seeing. And so we're told in verse 33, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God bless Peter. He's always speaking up. And Peter was the one, because he spoke up all the time, he's the ones whose mistakes were recorded the most. They're going away. Let's stop this. Let's build some shelters. Let's keep this going on. I can't read minds. He may have been thinking, send one of these other guys down to get everybody else and let's get everybody up here. They can see this. They can know of the resurrection. Sometimes we are given glimpses of God's glory. And we can want to cling to it in ways that we shouldn't. Give an example that's not religious. Have you ever met that, that friend, that person who in high school won the, 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 the scoring touchdown uh, at homecoming? And in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s, that seems to be their glory days to them. I want to slight the moment, but that seems to be the big thing in their life. And they cling to it and you want to say, how was high school, man? Haven't you lived the rest of your life? We can cling to glory in ways we shouldn't. 
I've met Christians who they say, I, I was on drugs, I was high, I was about to die, and I prayed to the Lord and He saved me. And that's great. But they can cling to that as if that makes them a super Christian. They can cling to that as if that means that they're saved the rest of their lives. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to remember God still wants us in His Word. He still needs to encourage us and reassure us of forgiveness and show us our sins and strengthen us. It's easy to point to the glory days of a church, isn't it? Remember the big church that I came from and the big Christmas services? And and here I am now in this little church that every time there's an energy bust, it seems like God just kicks it right in the guts and it just lays there and we go, Lord, why can't we get a stronghold? Why can't we grow? Sometimes we can even get confused and cling to glory that's not there. We can cling not wanting to bear those crosses and say, let's follow these steps and and we'll see lots of people come and we can be clinging to a false glory. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God does give us those glimpses of His glory and they're meant to encourage us. We want to cling to His Word and continue listening to Him afterwards so that we continue growing in our knowledge of Him and seeing He's still working in our lives even after those glorious moments. It's amazing, isn't it, brothers and sisters in Christ? God led the Israelites in a cloud. And we think, man, how awesome that would be to see that. But when the disciples are being engulfed by that cloud, it's terrifying to them. God the Father says those very important words in one of the less than a handful of times He speaks in the Bible. This is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. They got to see that glory on Transfiguration Sunday. It would have been nice if they could have clung to that when Jesus was arrested. They could say, this is God and I don't need to be afraid. He wouldn't let them do this if He didn't have a plan. But they would be reminded. And they would cling to that glory in a right way and they would study the Word of God and they would share it with the Word and they would never deny their Lord again. And today we hear that too. Listen to your Savior when you don't see His glory. Because the fact that you even have faith in this sinful world is truly to God's glory. Listen to your Savior when you see His glory. He's re-encouraging you and assuring you. And listen to your Savior when you want to cling to His glory. Because in His Word, He's always reassuring you, always encouraging you, and keeping you in your faith. Amen. Then hail the double glory of Jesus Christ our Lord, and let the wondrous story full peace and joy afford. The holy mount acclaims Him the majesty divine. Mount Calvary proclaims Him, Redeemer, yours and mine. Amen.